This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We've uh, certainly been through a lot here uh, in the last two years, 2020, 2021, 2020 church lockdowns, the false medical narrative that we're all living through, the Dominion election, the um, now the violence of Traditionis Custodis. The hits just keep on coming. Today we're going to talk about a good priest, Father James Jackson of the Fraternity of St. Peter, one of the most well-known, if not the most well-known FSSP priests in the country and certainly one with uh, some tenure. He was arrested lately uh, a couple days ago for uh, supposedly being in possession of uh, some lewd photographs of underage people. Today I'm going to talk about what we know, what we don't know, um, the reaction, and uh, what we can do um, in pursuit of truth, in defense of someone who, uh, by all measure, is a good man. And uh, by all measure is somebody who is deserving of our, um, of our defense. What we know. What we know about Father Jackson is that he was in active service in Denver. Um, one of the largest FSSP apostolates. I don't know if it's the largest. Um, I mean, he was there for 10 plus years. He was the pastor there, a staple of the Archdiocese of Denver. We know that he's been transferred to Providence, Rhode Island, to St. Mary's um, within the last three months. Three months tenure in a brand new uh, diocese um, without any support uh, amongst the chancery, without any relationships in the diocese, Bishop Tobin's diocese. Um, pride flags bedeck the neighborhood of the parish. It's a rough neighborhood surrounded by uh, people who ostensibly are not friendly either to Catholicism, certainly not to traditional Catholicism. 
What we know about Father Jackson is that he lives an observably regimented life. He wakes at a certain time. He says his prayers at a certain time. He prepares for mass at a certain time. He writes his homilies at a certain time. He recreates at a certain time. He seldomly used technology. In fact, he's famously bad at using technology, and one could say that he is detached from it. These are just things that we know about the man. We know that he was out of town uh, days for a week before his arrest. We know this because you can look on the church bulletin and see that there was a visiting priest. We know that he was on retreat with the FSSP um, immediately prior to his arrest. We know that a day before his arrest, he was protesting a satanic mass in Salem, Massachusetts. So clearly, the powers that be are not happy with one Father James Jackson. It was publicly reported that he couldn't make his bail. Uh, One wonders out loud if he can even afford an attorney. It's SOP, Standard Operating Procedure. It's kind of the MO of the Fraternity of St. Peter when one of their priests gets accused, accused of anything, of anything at all. They turn their back on them. They let them, they sort of leave them out to dry. I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying that the FSSP isn't going to, is it going to marshal a legal defense and then thus implicate themselves in the event that somebody is actually guilty of an accused crime. So it's probably a legal um, maneuver that is not without its own level of prudence. We know as of today, as of moments ago, that was released online um, by the Department of Justice that this has become a federal case, that Father Jackson appeared in federal court today, uh, that he was released on, uh, uh, on bail and has to wear an electronic ankle monitor. It said in the press release that he plans to stay with his family. That's what we know. These are, these are the, uh, this is what we know. What we don't know is, so there's this affidavit that Church Militant has obtained and they've published it, you know, uncritically and with no commentary. They just published the affidavit as it is. We know that we, um, of course, we know we live in an age of political policing. Um, But when you read the affidavit, and I don't recommend that you do that. Yeah, I mean, look, you can read, I'm not trying to censor you. You can read the affidavit if you want to. You can Google it on, on Church Militant's website. But the affidavit says that there was IP traffic on a peer-to-peer network that was sharing um, these files on three occasions that the uh, federal uh, agent was able to observe all in the month of October. Two of the three occasions happened on a Sunday afternoon. One happened on a Friday afternoon. But IP traffic is not the same as a MAC address. And for anybody in IT you know the difference. Uh, So what we don't know is whether or not an IP address is sufficient to convict somebody of a crime. What we do know is that it's very easy to spoof an IP address. In fact, many of us have probably unwittingly done that in our day job. It's called a VPN. If you've ever virtual private network for your work, if you have a laptop provided to you by your company or your firm and you go home and you have to VPN in into the system, what you're doing is you're spoofing your IP address. You're making it appear on your local area network as though your IP address is one of the trusted IP addresses within the network. So the entire affidavit rests upon the IP address 
But what we don't know and what it doesn't say in the affidavit is the MAC address of the actual device. We don't know which computer. We don't know who was logged into the computer. We don't know the credentials of the person who was logged into the computer. We don't even know if that particular computer was actually conducting those transfers of files. We also don't know whether or not this case uh, will, uh, well, I wrote this last night, whether or not it's going to be a state or a federal affair. It appears as though breaking news, it is going to be a federal affair. Um, we don't know uh, if how precisely this alleged crime is linked directly to Father Jackson. We don't know who has access to the computers in the rectory. We don't know who has access to the rectory itself. We don't know whether or not Father Jackson was at home on October 15th in the afternoon or not. Maybe he was out on one of his famous two or three hour post Sunday mass hikes. Maybe somebody was with him who can corroborate the fact that he wasn't even there at 3.50 p.m. on October 15th. We don't know who owned this two terabyte hard drive that is in question. Uh, we don't know if Father Jackson knows what a terabyte is. Within a day uh, of this happening, uh, a man was brandishing a weapon at the parish, at St. Mary's Parish there in Providence, Rhode Island. We don't know if this man is connected in some way or if he is just one of the Satanists who uh, was ticked off that the parishioners were opposing their black masses. I want to note about the Gestapo tactics here that are so common uh, and the history of the use of planting evidence. I'm not saying that that was done here. I don't know what happened here. But it is a common way to discredit your enemies to plant evidence of a heinous crime in their possession and then discover that evidence. We know that uh, the cabal networks uh, operate this way, that they frame people for crimes all the time. We also know that it's pretty easy to frame a digital crime as opposed to a, a violent crime. There are no fingerprints here. There's no blood. There's no getaway vehicle. There's no alibi. This is entirely a digital crime. This is entirely a digital crime. Um, so there's just the digital footprints. It's just ones and zeros. Uh, it is also used in many nations throughout history, including the USSA. Um, and it was famously used in uh, communist times as well. I want to talk about the motives um, very quickly. But I have to put you on a quick commercial break because I have a toddler having a meltdown.
Okay, sorry about that. Um, babysitting some of my boys and one of them had an incident. I want to talk to you also uh, about the motives. And then I'm going to sort of finish this very short video off with what we can do and really the pursuit of truth. The motives, why would they go after a Father Jackson? First of all, he's a very public target. He's famous. He's a, a, a longtime priest of the Fraternity of St. Peter. He's basically a co-founder, um, although not. Uh, I don't think technically he is a co-founder. This is a devastating blow to the FSSP. This, is, uh, this really hits him hard. He's a widely read author. Uh, many of you have, have his book. I have his book, Nothing Superfluous. It's considered by many to be a staple of the TLM. Um, and it's indispensable to traditionalist converts. He has made very strong public condemnations of the various evils of the world, statements, both written and uh, videos on YouTube. His sermons um, are just, they, they go against the flow of the general evils of the day. He's brand new. He's in hostile territory. He has no friendships or relationships with his chancery. He's been there three months in Bishop Tobin's diocese which makes him vulnerable, which makes him uh, an easier target. You see, when he's operating in the Archdiocese of Denver with a more or less a friendly bishop in Archbishop Aquila, he's a hard target. You're not going to take him down. But in transition, you learn this in military tactics, in any transition, in transition in general is when you are, in fact, the most vulnerable. And many of you know this. I mean, like, I know, I know lots of women whose purses have been stolen while they're in transition. They're unloading groceries. They're in transition. They're in between tasks. That's when you're most vulnerable because that's when you're least alert to the threats around you. So all of these sort of motives are there. The motives are there. Um, the technology is certainly there. I've been told, look, I, I, hold, a, I hold a Security Plus um, certification in cyber security. I hold a top secret security clearance from the U.S. federal government. Uh, one of the things I did in the Marine Corps was secure cyber networks. And I'm here to tell you there are at least eight ways, at least eight ways, that one could fake this crime on behalf of another person, that one could implant this evidence. And and less than half of those ways included actually physically being present or breaking into the place or planting a hard drive. A lot of this can be done remotely. I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying that it could have happened. And here's the thing. Here's, here's the final point. It's about truth. So I'm launching a fundraiser for Father Jackson. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sad that some of the other voices in tradition haven't already spoken up on his, uh, in his defense. Because when you know that a man is a moral man, that he is a man of character, when you know that someone is, lives a regimented life, 
and a life marked by public temperance and prudence. When you know that a man is searching for the truth and faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't just wander off into obscene, absurd levels of sin. He may fall here and there. He may even have grave sin from time to time, but he is not going to be subject to something so despicable, so heinous as this. That's what we know. And it's hard to make that argument in this day and age. It's hard to make that argument because when you make that argument, people always point to the exceptions. And I was discussing this with my wife last night, for example, and I said, you know, I want to make the moral argument. I want to say that a guy like him, with the things that we know that he talks about, a guy like him with a devotion to the holy face, he's not going to be engaged in something like this. Why would he? So, um, and that's a difficult argument because most people like to argue from exceptions. We know this. If anyone has ever been involved in the pro-life fight, you know that everyone wants to accept, uh, wants the exception to the rule. They all want to talk about rape and incest. They, none of them want to talk about defining the rule before they define the exceptions to the rule. But this is, um, this is how it needs to be. Um, remember always, that also that good men deserve to be defended and everyone has a natural right to his good name, to his good reputation, his good name, his good reputation may never be restored. Uh, even if he's fully exonerated, even if it is later found that just like has happened with other police, that even church militant has defended in the past that the police were involved in planting evidence Church militant, you ought to remember that before you condemn this man. Even if it is found that the powers that be were colluding against Father Jackson because he was opposing a satanic mass, because he was condemning the COVID religion, because he's written about the traditional Latin mass, for whatever reason that you can concoct, for any of the various motives, even if it is found that that happened, he will be a marred priest— he will have a marred, disfigured reputation and name. And he may not be able to serve with the fraternity of St. Peter, even if he's cleared. And so literally this means that he is relegated to a life of serving our Lord Jesus Christ privately, secretly, even if he's innocent. Um, that's the trouble in today's culture of accusations and uh, the presumption of guilt. And for those of you who would say, Christine Niles, that we presume innocence for traditional priests, but presume guilt for Novus Ordo priests, you don't understand the moral argument, Christine. You don't understand what we're saying. What we're saying is that a man who lives an integral Catholic life is very unlikely. It's less likely. And there would be warning signs. And in this case, those who know him well, the reaction of priests, religious, 
respected Catholics who have known him for 20 plus years is all the same. They're all shocked. They're all shocked by this. They all say there are no warning signs. Look, when 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 people go down in flames and they have huge, huge, uh, huge private sins that come to light, there are usually warning signs. And people close to them say, yeah, well, you know, there was this and there was that. And in retrospect, it all fits together. But right now, in retrospect, in retrospect, it doesn't add up. There, are, there were no warning signs. No one is sitting there scratching their head saying, yeah, you know, Father Jackson was secretive with his technology. No, he wasn't. He had it in plain sight. Father Jackson was attached to his phone. No, he wasn't. He could barely use it. Father Jackson had a lot of private time and no, who, who knows what he was doing. No, he wasn't. He was engaged in active ministry at all times. It's completely transparent. So um, that's the moral argument. That's the distinction for those who would just simplif- sim- simplify the argument on Twitter. For those who are just engaged. Literally, some people work at news organizations that have worked on canceled priests that defend canceled priests. Some people work at news organizations that have vindicated priests who had evidence planted by police. And yet, as soon as a traditional priest gets accused of a crime, they presume guilt. They're guilty of the inverse of that which they project onto us. Anyway, um, notwithstanding all of that, I would just like to conclude by saying that we need to prepare ourselves for the truth, wherever the truth may lead us. And the truth may be something unsavory. We may come to find out that in the end, we didn't know Father Jackson the way we thought we did. And I'm prepared for that. And I think you're prepared for that. But the only way that we're going to know that is if we raise the money to hire a private investigator to do forensic computing, to put a second pair of eyes on the evidence. The only way we're going to know whether or not this actually happened We can't trust the police in in an age of political policing. We can't trust the feds now that the feds are involved. And you know what? After reading that that affidavit, I mean, if that's all the evidence you need to arrest and charge somebody, I know how to plant that evidence with somebody. You could Google how to plant that evidence with somebody. So the evidence right now is very uncompelling for anyone that has any background in cybersecurity, or IT. So we need to find the truth. And in order to find the truth, we need to verify it ourselves. And to verify it ourselves, unfortunately, this is what brings me to you tonight. We, I'm asking for money. Not for me. There's a whole GoFundMe. It's set up. It's in the show notes. I'm asking initially to raise $85,000. That's a lot of money. And I want to be clear about this. About half of the money is probably going to go to a private investigator. The other half is going to go to Father Jackson's legal team. He has a natural right to the best defense that he can muster. And if we're wrong, if we're all wrong in presuming his innocence, we're willing to face that truth. But at least we will have discovered it and verified it ourselves rather than 
being told by the deep state, by Comey's FBI, by the Brandon administration, that he did something very much, very likely that he didn't do. So I'm willing to follow the facts wherever they lead. And that's why I set this up the way that it's set up. I don't know if he did it or if he didn't do it. What I do know is that he is a good man and a good priest. And good men, good priests don't behave this way. It's the ones with the warning signs. It's the ones where something just isn't right. It's the ones where in retrospect, you say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Well, here we are, guys. We're in retrospect, and it doesn't make sense. So let's find out the truth. Let's find out together. Let's take it upon ourselves, since we can't trust the illegitimate government that presumes to tell us who is innocent and guilty. Let's take it upon ourselves. Click the link below. Why did I use GoFundMe? Just because somebody's going to leave a comment. I had to use GoFundMe because I tried to use two other platforms. And because it's a Catholic cause, because it's a Catholic priest, I don't know why. I don't know what's built into their algorithms. But I have spent many hours trying to set it up for him. And maybe it's an RTF thing. Maybe they don't like Catholics. Whatever the reason, my account on, on GiveButter got suspended today. And they don't even tell me why. Because of fraudulent activity, they say. Uh, so GoFundMe was the most user-friendly platform. I know that they take a, a, a larger cut than some of the other players, but we got to get these funds over to Father Jackson, and I will provide you a full accounting to the penny of wherever every penny goes uh, to make sure that we're supporting a good and holy priest whose reputation is sterling. And um, I would be very honored if tonight we could raise on this on the 3rd of November if we could raise like $10,000 or $15,000 to um to get some funds going just to make sure that Father Jackson knows the cavalry is on its way thank you